Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Coram Deo Church and Pastor Chris Hemmelman of First City Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about Christians and the environment. By the way, this is the day after the elections and we're recording this before the election is final. So I don't who knows what kind of a world you're waking up to listen to this podcast in. We don't have any idea. Man. And we're not even going to talk about it. We're going to talk yeah. about the environment because you need to listen to something else besides election news. Either that or we'll have to come back and do another podcast on election stuff because, you know, we're just recording this one beforehand. You guys are just all sitting around looking at me. I was like just, just pondering very obvious what the world could be like when this episode drops. There's no way of knowing. Yeah. Who knows? It's going to be the exact same. But I tell you what's going to be the exact yeah. same. Our that's recycling true. problems are going to be the exact <laughs> yes, same. There's true. one thing that's not going to change, and that's your trash can. At the election parties, there was more water bottles. That's right. There was. So listen, we're going to get it. There's, there's, I got a lot of thoughts in my head I'm trying to bring together. First, Bethany sent me an article last week from NPR. Uh, I also saw this article in the Boston Globe. It's based on a study that came out from Greenpeace. Um I don't know, was it two weeks ago, Bethany? Mm-hmm. All right, here's the headline, or here's the lead uh, paragraph. The vast majority of plastic that people use is headed to landfills or worse, according to a report from Greenpeace on the state of plastic recycling in the U.S. The report cites separate data published this May, which revealed that the amount of plastic actually turned into new things has fallen to new lows of around 5%. Yikes. That number is expected to drop further as more plastic is produced. So here's what that means. You know how you like fill up, you know, Omaha did this whole like big, you know, we got the new garbage can thing last year and like a whole new recycling system. And you got two bins now and this huge bin for recycling and they pick it up every two weeks. Most of you, if you're a conscientious person, you, you put all your plastics in the recycling bin and you know that the truck comes and takes them to who knows where because you don't know. All you know is a truck comes to your curb, takes what's in your recycling bin away, and in your mind, that means it's getting recycled. And you feel a little bit I better about so yourself. Good. But what Greenpeace <laughs> is telling you is actually only 5% of it is getting recycled. And that's not good. Man, what, what are they doing with all my Amazon boxes that I have to recycle? Well, this They're is specifically burning. about plastic. Oh, plastic. Maybe cardboard okay. has a better rate. Cardboard I don't know. and aluminum, I think, are Good. Okay. But. I feel a little better. Here's the problem. Let me read from more of this article. Waste management experts say the problem with plastic is that it is expensive to collect and sort. Plastic also degrades after one or two uses. New plastic, on the other hand, is cheap and easy to produce. The result is that plastic trash has few markets, a reality the public has not wanted to hear. Now, look. This is, not, this is not good. This is in every way bad news for us because here's what we've been convinced since I was a kid. They've tried to convince us. I've been believing since I was a kid. Oh, you know what? When we recycle, it actually like helps because you know they recycle that and use it again. And so it's like cutting down on the amount of plastic in the world. Actually, what's happening is it's just ending up in rivers and oceans and in the developing world. It's just a massive ecological problem. And- I think this is something Christians need to care about. Now, the bad news from this report is if you've been trying to care about it by recycling, you just found out, oh, wah, wah, too bad. That's not really doing very much, turns out. 
Um, there's another factor here that I just think we should mention. Reading again from the NPR article, uh, oil and gas industry lobbyists say they plan to recycle every piece of plastic they make into something new by 2040. In interviews with NPR, industry officials were unable to explain how they plan to reach a 100% recycling rate. Yeah, since now we're going 5%, interesting to see how we're going to get to 100% by 2040. An NPR investigative report found in 2020 that industry officials misled the public about the recyclability of plastic, even though their own reports showed they knew as early as the 1970s and 1980s that plastic could not be economically recycled. Unsurprisingly, there's an industry here that benefits from you needing more plastic. I don't know if you do this, but plastic is a petroleum product. So it's the oil and gas industry that benefits when we use plastic. And it was in their best interest to convince us that recycling was real, <laughs> that, it would, that it would help the world, because that means we just keep buying plastic and we don't ask questions like, hmm, maybe we don't need this much plastic. Um, so you shouldn't be surprised that there's profit motives underneath some of these things. But this is not just a podcast about an NPR article. What I want to do is use this as a jumping off opportunity to talk about a biblical approach to ecology or to environmentalism, because I think for many people, environmentalism sounds like sort of a left-wing progressive cause, and there are certainly some weird people out there that just, you know, like we talked about a few weeks ago, that their answer to the problems of global warming is don't have any kids and stuff like that, you know? So there's, there's just, there's a whole set of voices here that I think Christians are suspicious of, and therefore sometimes we don't think very well about what is our responsibility toward the environment? And what does it mean to have from a, from a set of coherent Christian biblical convictions, a concern for the world we live in? And at the same time that Bethany sent me this article, or maybe slightly before that, I picked up this new volume from Davenant Press called Protestant Social Teaching, which I'm holding up now for my partners on the podcast to see. Since this is only an audio podcast, no one else can see it except for Bethany, Chris, and Dusty. It's not a very big book. It's a very, yeah, it's a small book. Which, does that contain all the extent of Protestant yeah. social teaching? this is all there is so in the far. World. Yeah. <laughs> this is all there is so far. Um, I was glad to see this volume come out. It has a bunch of authors that are people I'm interested in, but here's what's interesting about the volume and why I was glad to see it. These authors have two concerns. One, they point out that for about 100 years now, the Catholic Church has had a very robust um, practice of what they call Catholic social teaching, which is sort of this, you know, it's like the encyclicals that the popes put out on things like contraception or the human body. Like if you're familiar with Pope John Paul's Theology of the Body, it's this kind of stuff. It's this whole compendium of, hey, here's what the church has to say, not about theology, but about social issues. Things like how should you live in your body and what's a good approach to the environment, things like that. What these authors are trying to do is to say, hey, actually, Protestantism has that body of teaching, too. We just haven't done a good job curating it and gathering it into accessible forms. And so that's what they're trying to do in this book is to start a project of gathering up Protestant social teaching and saying, here's what the Protestant tradition has to say about some of these things. The reason I like this, you're going to hear these guys use the word magisterial a lot. Chris, am I putting you on the spot too much by asking you to summarize when we talk about the magisterial reformation, what are we talking about? 
trying to say that simply, we're talking about, in, in many ways, the first generation of reformers who had a high view of both church and state and how those two things uh, coalesce and interacted. And therefore, you had reformers who were talking about things like how the church and how Christian theology informs and shapes the state and forms and shapes social teaching and behavior, uh, as opposed maybe in some ways to the radical reformation, such as like the Anabaptists, who in many ways retreated from culture, saw the church kind of as this island away from culture, and we just all kind of retreat. And so less engagement with the culture, with government, with with the kind of the things of life. Uh, so typically, you know, Calvin, uh, I mean, even Luther to some degree, and, yep. and others kind of in those those streams. Yeah, you're exactly right. So there's there's two streams of the Reformation, actually more than two, but there's what we call the Radical Reformation, which is sort of the Anabaptist tradition from which we get a lot of Baptists and Congregationalists in the modern day. And that tradition rejected a lot of past practice. They they were the ones who felt like, hey, we need to throw out everything we've got that's gotten us to this point and sort of start fresh and go back to the Bible. It was like the early back to the Bible movement. And those people had some imbalances, but they were fighting for sort of a radical return to orthodoxy. The magisterial reform the magisterial reformers were, yeah, that that first generation, Calvin, Bucer, uh, Peter Martyr Vermigli, people like this who just were working for more of a high church tradition, not really wanting to throw everything out or tear everything apart as much as to bring reform Mm -hmm. to the church. And so these guys are basically saying evangelicalism in America has been too influenced by radicals and not enough of the magisterial reformation. So they're trying to sort of go back to Calvin and some of his um, protégés and contemporaries and say, what did the early reformers say about some of these things? We are 12 minutes into this podcast. And I haven't introduced the chapter of this book that we're going to talk about. It's all right. It's all right. The chapter is the last chapter written by our friend Jake Meter down the road in Lincoln, Nebraska. What's up, Jake? Um, Called Environmental Care. Jake Meter wants to convince you that the reformers have something to say to us about environmental care. I'm holding this book up again like it's a show and tell. Well, it is kind of a show and tell because if I read it again, it's going to be your copy. I did thumb through your copy a little bit when you weren't looking. It's okay. You can order one off Amazon if you want to. Um, Jake Meter in the last chapter of this book is basically saying, hey, let's talk about the environment. What what does the magisterial Protestant Reformation have to say about environmental care? And he starts out by saying, hey, you probably think this is a dumb question because let's be honest, the reformers didn't say a whole lot about recycling or about ecology or about, you know, good farming practices like that. They weren't writing in a world where those were the issues. Um, so he, but he has a really fascinating way of getting at this. And I, I like Jake's thinking for this way. He says, um, if we ask the right questions, we find that the reformers have a lot to say. And here's the two questions Jake Meter suggests we should be asking. First, how should we imagine humanity's relationship to land and animals? Second, how should human beings understand their relationship to their tools? He says, these are questions the reformers have a lot to say about. Um, Human beings' relationship to land and animals and their relationship to their tools. So he works through sort of the biblical material and the theological material here. And he basically says, you know, one of the basic things we see in the Bible is that the world belongs to God and that he gives it to mankind conditionally. 
And the basic language here is just the language of stewardship, yep. right? That we don't own the earth, we're stewards of the earth. And if you read the, the creation account, right, it's Adam, or God puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it, to cultivate it, to tend it. And he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's very clear that Adam and Eve do not own the earth, but that they are being entrusted with the care of the earth. And then he traces throughout the Old Testament the fact that God speaks of the land as his land. I mean, even when he brings Israel into the promised land, he's not giving them the land so much as he is entrusting them with the land. I brought you into the land. Yeah, and Jake Meter points to places like in Isaiah 24, verses 4 and 5, where God says, The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws violated the statutes, broken the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. So he's saying that God entrusts people with the land and then God holds them accountable for their pollution of the land through their sin and through their brokenness. So Jake Meter summarizes it this way. The story throughout the Old Testament is that God gives the gift of land to humanity with the intention that the land would nourish and sustain them and that they in turn would care for and protect the land. But when God's people fail in that calling, God can and will take the land away. So I think that's a really fascinating starting point. He basically says, so the biblical story is human beings must live in the world, must derive their life from the world. But due to sin, it's now hard for us to do that. And so in trying to sustain our life in the world, we often do great harm to the world. This should not be surprising to any listener of this podcast. I probably haven't said anything that's like super profound to you. But all he's doing is giving ecology a biblical starting point. He's saying if we, if we look at a theology of the world or of the land or of the earth, what we realize is God has given this, had entrusted this to human beings. Through our sin, we have uh, often done great harm to the world. And in the worst situations, people can even indiscriminately and willfully destroy God's creation. Because of our autonomy and because of our perspective on, well, this is mine. Yeah, just like, I mean, think about it, you know, it's the same problem. It's the same problem you have if you don't tithe, right? Why don't you tithe? Well, because you think what you have belongs to you. And it's a poor view of stewardship. It's a sense of like, I own this, this is mine, this stuff is mine to do what I want with. And what leads people to a healthy view of giving is an understanding like, actually, I'm a steward. This all belongs to God. It's all his. And so I'm, I'm responsible to honor God in how I use what I have, whether we're talking about my wealth or whether we're talking about the land on which I live. Now, from there, Jake Meter gets into, um, he says, how can the Reformed tradition help us to understand this teaching? Two particular avenues come to mind. One is the tradition of simple piety that we find in the Reformation. Um, And here's how he wants to work this out. He says, one of the challenges we all feel when it comes to environmental concerns is our lack of agency. Like, these are just human. I mean, how do I solve the problem of global plastic recycling? Like, that's just a... You just told me that like, if I recycle my plastic at my house, it doesn't even help. So who am I to solve a problem like that? And Jake Meter wants to say, there's a right sense of helplessness we feel because these problems are so much bigger than us. But he, he, he also wants to say, people learn to desire the good of the earth and to accept sacrifice when they rediscover the joys that come from a real sense of agency as it relates to their life in the world and the care of their given places in it. So he basically wants to say, hey, stop trying to solve global plastic recycling. Let's just get back to like ordinary piety 
for the little plot of earth that we're responsible for. That's not a that's not an insignificant thing. And actually, if all of us began to feel a deeper, simple piety and responsibility for where we are, our sense of place, that would have an effect on our ability to solve bigger problems. I think that's really interesting. I, I've just been thinking about like, what does this mean for like how I tend my my yard, you know, and my little place in the world. I don't I don't own very much land in this world, but what I do own, I want to be a good steward of it. And so I began by just starting to care, basically. Yeah. I began by starting to care, trying, failing, starting again, he says. Yeah. And he's, well, what he's saying is that the reformed tradition gives us this vision of simple piety, you know, that just like, hey, being faithful to God in your own little place is the, is the starting point for all other kinds of change. And I guess what he's saying is the reformation starts from very small, simple things and moves outward from there. And sometimes the way modern progressivism wants to work is to like start with the biggest problem first, like carbon emissions, you know, and just like, let's apply a huge blanket solution yeah. and then work backwards. And he's saying, yeah, the Reformation just urges us to start small, to start with our sense of responsibility. Um, and he gives a couple examples. I, uh, I don't know. I don't love the examples. Um, they don't feel as workable to me but I like them. They're instructive. I just feel like I read them and I was like, yeah, Jake, that's good. But, uh, I'm not sure that's going to like Take be, wor- be workable for everyone or yeah. get us very far down the road. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it assumed uh, when I, I agree with you, when I read it, it assumed living in a certain context too, which, you know, again, it's not wrong if you're living in that context, but I think what he's doing in those examples though, is wherever you're at, you need to get in tune with the earthiness of where you're actually at. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So here's the two examples he gives. One, learning to eat seasonally according to the rhythms of your home place, i.e. purchasing locally grown food, sourcing from small local farmers whose operations are more conducive to the health of the soil than our large monoculture farms. If our friend Myron Garcia is listening, he's probably saying yes and amen. That's what we're trying to do at Steady Grow Farms. That's right. Shout out to Steady Grow Farms. By the way, they pay us nothing for this shameless plug right here. But I like what Myron and Alicia are doing with Steady Grow Farms. They're trying to do just this this sort of renewing, regenerative local agriculture. And you can buy their stuff online, steadygrowfarms.something or other. So go find out what they're doing. The second example Meter gives is you, you know, traveling less in your car. So basically like walking places, biking, um, reducing your dependence on fossil fuels by just slowing down your pace of life. And he, he uses these examples, like become a regular at your neighborhood coffee shop, learn to use the trails in your city, go to the local grocery store. This is where I felt like, yeah, I love all this. Also, it's kind of impractical when the, there is no local grocery store yeah. <laughs> or when yeah. the local coffee shop that I like is closer to Bethany's house and <laughs> I got to go visit her and Alan to get my good coffee, you know? Um, so it does feel a little bit idealistic in a way that feels like, okay, I get that. Like for many people, that's a realistic workable answer for some people. It's just not going to be. Um, and it doesn't feel like it takes into account the realities of how the broader reality of suburbia and, you know, fossil fuels and all those things have just shaped how our whole geography exists and is defined. Yeah. What I, to, to just agree with what you're saying though, too, what I like about what he's advocating for is it's, it's not just about solving a problem. It's also about what kind of person am I, am I becoming Yeah, and and how am I, am I living life to such a degree that simple piety is making me into a particular kind of person. And, and if we start there, that 
then bleeds over into how we think about things like environmental care. Like if I'm, if I'm a person who cares deeply about place and not just because I want to care for the environment, but because I, it's good to do that, how that's going to affect the way I think about my resources and how I consume things. It's, it's going to hopefully have the accumulative effect of some, some level of environmental care. Hmm. I agree, Bob, some of these problems are far bigger than, you know, what, what you can handle. But at the same time, if I'm, if I'm focused on what kind of person I'm becoming, then in some ways, those, those bigger problems, like, I don't know, not that I don't care about them, but I, I put them in the, the proper priority. Maybe that's yes. a better way to put it. Well, and the other, I guess the other th- connection I'm making, Chris, is it sort of, it causes me to think outward from my own life. And sometimes that actually can help me think about broader problems. So when I start thinking about, you know, I made the joke about how I just put all my recyclables in the thing and the truck comes and takes them away and it happens at my house on Wednesday morning and then we just roll the recycling bin back and it's empty. And an attentiveness to place, like actually me being more connected to my plot of land and I, we, we inherited this huge flower garden and like a really elaborate landscape. And so my wife and I, for the last two years, have been trying to figure out like, what are all, we use that, uh, picture this app where like you take a picture of the plant and it's like, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I tend to this plant? You know, it's just a wonderful grace because this app is just like, it knows everything (laughs) about all these plants, you know, but in, in tending to these plants and thinking about how does this need to be pruned and how does it need to be watered and what does it need? What I realized is it's also made me a little bit more aware of, I should be thinking more about my whole world this way. And when I start thinking that way, I think, where do all these plastics go? Mm. Like some truck takes them away from my property. So they're not on my property anymore, but they're going on to someone's property somewhere. And what that has caused me to do is just try to be less plastic dependent, you know, to like bring my own water bottle instead of buying a fresh plastic soda bottle every time I want to buy a beverage or whatever. And I do think those things are connected. That simple piety, the sense of like place sort of causes me to ask, well, if, if this was all coming to my place, yeah. how would I feel about if, if yeah. I was getting yeah. everybody's recycled dumped in my front yeah. yard, that would, that would not feel great. And yeah. so it makes me sort of think lesser to greater a little bit about some of these problems. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you were getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that I like about what he's ultimately, I think, I think if I'm reading between the lines in some ways, he's pushing on us to consider how are you consuming? Yes. Like what, what so much of the environmental care is overconsumption, and we exploit the land because we are trying to, it, it, to produce more for whatever reason. And what, what he's pushing on, if you, if you're kind of following these things, it's, it's considering, Hey, how do I limit my consumption through being more connected to place? Because if I care about my place, in some ways that, that, that affects the way that I view how I'm using it or consuming it. It's not, not just a thing that I'm consuming, but actually part of me and something that I care about and I want to tend to. And that mindset I think is beautiful. Yes. Because I can begin to appreciate it in such a way that it enhances my worship towards God as yeah. well. Like yeah. I'm, I'm more thankful. I have more gratitude. Yeah. It, it puts me in touch with that sense. I'm a steward of this, that, that God has given this to me and, and it's not just mine. And so I want to care for this and I want to tend to that. And how do I do that? It's like, I'm, it's not just about what I get out of it. And so this whole thing of affecting the way that I view my relationship to consumption 
I think, um, in, in many ways is kind of a, I don't know if that, that kind of first domino, you kind of hit that domino and how it affects kind of what he's calling us to. Well, and I might even say it's a, it's a gauge of my self-interest. Yeah. Am I thinking about the world in terms of it all belongs to me and I can do what I want with it? Or am I thinking of it in terms of this is all God's and I'm responsible for how I steward it? That does, you know, if it's all for me, then I want the most convenient thing possible. Yeah. If it all belongs to God, it might yeah. change the decisions I make. There was one time where our office was really close to my house and we went down to one car for a year and a half because I was like, oh, we can figure this out. And I had a scooter, but the scooter would only go 39 miles an hour. <laughs> so I had to really, I had to really gauge like, what's my day look like? Yeah. And then I'd have to organize with my wife if I actually needed the car because I might have to take the interstate or something. So it was weird. We had four kids and, and every time I told somebody we had one car, they were like, yeah, that's weird. You're really weird. Yeah. But I got by for like a year and a half without a lot of effort. It's really interesting thinking of this. My husband and I just got back from a trip to New York and we stayed pretty much in Times Square, which is not a great place to stay, I will say. But um, the one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, on trash day, nobody has trash cans. They just pile all their trash up on sidewalks. And so you're just walking by trash anytime you want to go anywhere. And I was just like made so aware of how much trash is actually in the world. And I was just like, man, I like, and I just, I felt almost this, I don't know, probably that overwhelm feeling of what are we supposed are we to do with, with all of it? I'm just yeah. like, this is one block and this there's how many people living in this city? And oh my gosh, like just being made aware, being made more aware of like, hey, all of that's going somewhere. I think if you like are more face-to-face with it, I know I just think of like how I take my trash out to my trash can and throw it in and then I don't even think about it nope. anymore. But anyways. Do you think that, in general, Christians don't think about this because of underlying theological convictions, or is it just out of sight, out of mind? I don't think Christians intend to not think about this. I think we are products of our culture. And our culture, as you said, is very much a consumer culture. In fact, like think about how they're trying to fix inflation is like, you should go spend more. You know, like go out there and spend that money, consume some things. And so because we've just been raised in a world where everything is consumable. I just think we don't, we don't generally reflect on this. I think if we do, I think there's also in some Christians, I know a, an aversion to like, well, if the progressives care about yeah, that, yeah. I'm burning even more fossil fuel. Yeah. I'm going to get a diesel pickup truck because yeah. that's how I give the finger to like yeah. the environmentalists, you know, and and, it's a tax write off. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, an obnoxious response too, but I don't think that's the majority of people. I think for the majority of us, it's just, we, we don't attend to these things because no one's asking us to. And because we're just sort of taking for granted, oh, I put my trash out there and it goes away. Because we've made it really easy to not think about these things. Exactly. I think if you take a, I mean, if you've never been to the Douglas County landfill, you should drive out there just to take a look at where all our trash goes. Nasty. And just see what we do. It's like a weird, we basically just dig a big hole in the ground. We take all of our trash out there and dump it in and then we put some other dirt on top and we call it good. And that's just weird. Yeah. I, I make a trip out to the Sarpy County landfill probably once or twice a year. I'll, I'll do like a big tree trimming thing in my yard and get a pickup and drive it out there. And it's weird. You just, I'm going to drop off all my stuff in this 
basically this giant garage and <laughs> then they got these big tractors and they just scoop it up and take it and bury it. And you're like, they don't even burn it. Yeah. It's like, like you could burn it. Really? That's your what we're neighborhood doing. would let you. Yeah. The other point that meter wants to, sorry, do you have something you're going to say, Dusty? Well, this, this whole article just reminded me of during the pandemic when beaches were shut down and, uh, and nobody so, was flying anywhere. Yeah. Nobody could fly and safari parks were, and because nobody was flying, it messed up your weather app on your phone. And like, so yeah. you couldn't trust what the weather was going to be like tomorrow. Cause the airplanes like, were messing with it. Pollution actually went down. Pollution's a real thing. Anyway, I watched this crazy documentary. I can't remember the name of it, but like animals were taking over really expensive safari parks and, and stuff like that. Cause there weren't any crazy Americans there yeah. to spend all their money. And so, and, and like, turtles were reproducing at some crazy rate and there's all these estimations because there was nobody on the beach and so the turtles got to have their beach back wow stuff like that i just it took a pandemic and a documentary yeah. for me to realize oh we do whatever we want with the beach yeah because we think it's ours yeah the other point that meter brings out from the reformers is the emphasis that they put on how god speaks to us through creation and this is a feature of Calvin, particularly because of his high view of general revelation. Here's a quote from Calvin. All creatures from the firmament to the center of the earth could be witnesses and messengers of God's glory to all people. The little singing birds sang of God. The animals acclaimed him. The elements feared and the mountains resounded with him. The rivers and springs threw glances toward him. The flowers and the grasses smiled. So that in truth, there was no need to seek him afar seeing that everyone could find God within himself. Inasmuch as we are all sustained and preserved by his virtue abiding in us. The idea that the earth itself speaks to us of God is powerful because what it means is the more we subdue or sort of um, subvert the earth and sort of bring it under our dominion with concrete and, you know, uh, apartment complexes and whatever, the, the less there is to sing to us and speak to us of God, which is what you're pointing out with that documentary, Dusty, is like, wow, when the turtles actually get to have their babies on the beach, they're saying something to us of God and his creation. And when we just like take over the beach and we don't see them, we miss something that God is intending to, to speak to us about himself. So Jake Meter wants to grab those resources too from the reformers and say, hey, if we want to hear the voice of God, one of the, th one of the places we need to learn to hear it is in the flowers in your garden and, you know, walking your dog down the street and the sunrise in the morning. These are, these are means by which God communicates to his people. And for that reason, we should care about being good stewards of the earth and of God's creation. So I think getting us back to that sort of category of stewardship, that's maybe a good starting point for just asking again, this volume is called Protestant social teaching. And so we're trying to ask, or Jake Meter's trying to ask, what do the magisterial reformers have to say to us about the environment? And what he's saying is they teach us simple piety. They teach us a, a high doctrine of place. They teach us to be attentive to the voice of God in creation. And all of that should serve to help us rethink what it means for us to be stewards of the world that God's put us in for his glory. You have something to say. You're like leaning into the I'm, mic. But I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you. Yes. Yes. I mean, it doesn't solve all of the policy. Yeah, issues. it doesn't recycle more than 5% of our plastic. That's yeah. the problem. We still have that problem. Or what California is trying to do with their electric car but thing. But if we and, just start at policy, we're 
according to meter, we're starting at the wrong spot. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I thought of that. So you brought that up. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, California has said by 2032, I think all vehicles sold there that are new have to be electric. So they're just trying to basically say, we're going to take a policy first approach and like mandate that all these manufacturers produce electric cars. That's one way of going at it. It's a very California way of solving problems. Um, <laughs> that means Nevada's Nevada's going to have only cars. fossil fuel. Yeah. Um, but what I don't like about that is it it is a, I don't think it rightly seeks to understand the problem first before solving it. And so yeah. it only is going to replace one set of problems for another. So like I think in the minds of the people building those policies, you know, fossil fuels are the problem, air pollution, et cetera, et cetera. So if we reduce the number of cars burning gas, we'll solve those problems. LA won't have as much smog. You know, the flight path into LAX won't look like you're going through like a wet blanket to get to the airport. You know, to be, wow, won't that be great? In some ways it probably will be. I bet there will be cleaner air in Southern California. The downside of that will be, as we were talking about before we turned the mics on, all those electric cars now have batteries that actually can't be thrown in a landfill. They need to be responsibly recycled because they have heavy metals in them and, you know, acids and stuff like that. Now we've just created another problem that's just like the global plastic problem. So because we're not thinking carefully about what's the, what's the problem we're trading for, we're end up, we end up just sort of like trading one problem for another instead of asking what would a more responsible approach to just stewardship in general look like and one simple act. So, you know, there's a limit to what each of us as individuals can do, but a simple act that I'm trying to practice is just like actually to really reduce my dependence on plastics in general, because I just think, eh, even if we don't solve the global recycling problem, I just want to be contributing less to the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's part of my stewardship is like, well, I don't know what the Lord's going to do to solve that problem. I want to do my part to make it less of a problem. Therefore, no plastic water bottles, Dusty. You're going to have a conscience about your plastic. I'm outlawing plastic water bottles around here at Quorum Day. I talked about this like a year ago on the podcast. And then we had like an event where there was plastic water bottles and a bunch of people were like, I thought you outlawed these. And I was like, well, I did, but apparently my word doesn't mean anything. So now I've like doubled down on, we are not having no plastic. plastic around here. I don't care if you came to an event at our church, bring your own water bottle, Chris. That's fine. <laughs> it's not my job to or hand you plastic. Some water bottles. Some quorum day of water bottles. Some swag. Right? Some swag. Uh, out of plastic. Out of recycled plastic. No, get, oh, okay. get, get the nice... Uh, the metal ones. Corkicle yeah. Got ones. The corksicles. Yeah, yeah corksicle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to your point, Bob, again, uh, some of these problems, you know, there's no easy solutions and there's, you know, whatever. But taking the approach of, of I think, of what is being advocated here of trying to be less focused on consumption, more care more about stewardship, local place, if we're starting there, even the way we start to think about the bigger problems, rather than just trying to blanket, you know, one size fits all, it would hopefully create more of that careful thinking through the problem as you, you pointed out, like, how are we becoming the kinds of people that think that way? And are, that's kind of the default way of solving problems versus the kind of people that just try to throw, you know, this big, huge policy over the top and hope that it solves solves X problem without realizing that it's going to create a whole other set of problems. And so going back to this place of what kind of people are we becoming and how our relationship to the environment, is it is it the kind of people that are making us more thoughtful about this or, you know, haphazardly running to solutions? Yes. 
So to end this podcast, I'm going to eat a snack out of this single-use plastic container in front of me, which is from Trader Joe's. That looks kind of bulky, so, though, so I think we could reuse it. I don't think so, because it's going to have a little bit... It has to be totally clean for it to be recycled. That's part of the problem, is everything's contaminated with you know food particles and stuff, and they just won't recycle it. So... Anyway, we're going to re- we're going to do our best to even our snacks on the Wednesday conversation are going to become you're going to provide them for us listeners so that don't we don't know. have to buy Not them lately. in single-use plastics and that way they can become But just don't send them in plastic or Bob will throw them out. <laughs> I won't because I realize like it's sometimes that's the only option you have is to send it in plastic, but I do want us to become more aware of our our responsibility for stewardship of God's creation especially in the insane consumer culture that we live in. So to that end, I hope this helps you do that, listener, and I hope uh, you're intrigued by the Protestant reformer's social teaching on how do we care for the world? Well, first of all, by remembering that our relationship with the land is one of stewardship. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time around. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in. And we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.